Merry Christmas and welcome to Orchard Hill. <laughs> I sure wish we could find somebody who could sing around here, don't you? Hey, I want to say a special welcome to those of you in the chapel and the lobby. It is great to be together to celebrate Christmas. Also, I want to let you know that if you live closer to Butler or the city, our Butler and Strip District campuses will be having unique Christmas Eve experiences. The campus pastors from each of those campuses will bring their own message, a different message, different worship teams, and those are on Christmas Eve day, or there are 10 more options here in Wexford to come back. And if you're feeling a little crunched on space, there are um, good times at 11 on Christmas Eve and 9 on Christmas Eve tend to have a, a little more open space as well. Um, you know, there's a song that is pretty common this time of year. It goes like this. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling, whatever that is, and everyone telling you to be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the hap happiest season of all. So let me ask you, is it the most wonderful time of the year? Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is our third service and we're three for three with some kids saying, yes, it is. And my guess is some of the adults are saying, well, yes, but. And one of the reasons that sometimes it doesn't feel that way is you say, you know what? I have worked really hard to make this year great. And it didn't feel like there was a lot of appreciation or maybe you're, you're hoping that this is the year that your family will make it through Christmas without any cross words. But the last decade has taught you that it's not likely. Or maybe you buy gifts and you just know it'll end up being the wrong size or the wrong gift. Or maybe you'll eat too much or spend too much or spend too much time with the in-laws. Or maybe there won't be enough time off work or the whole thing will just end too soon. And so you say, ah, I'm not sure it's the happiest time of the year. And yet there's something about this time of year that makes us expect that Buddy will be reconciled to his dad. <laughs> or that George Bailey will, will realize that his life has meaning and purpose and that it's been a wonderful life. Or that the woman who's born in the small town and moves to the big city and has a big job <laughs> and everything in her life is great except she hasn't found the one and her work sends her to a small town, her small town. <laughs> and while she's trapped in a blizzard putting on the Christmas pageant, she finds true love. I mean, there's something about that that just says yes. Do you know what the most common phrase in the Christmas narratives is? Could be, but I'm thinking Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2. And the most common phrase 
in the Bible about the birth of Jesus is fear not. Four times, an angel appears and says to four different individuals, fear not. But let me ask you, why would a baby born some 2,000 years ago who never commanded an army, never held political office, never even sent a tweet, how does that baby help you and me live without fear all these years later? Is that even the thing? In fact, if you read the Christmas narrative, what you see is that Mary, who we're told pondered these things in her heart when the angel came and said, you're basically going to have the son of God and he will reign forever and ever. Mary, uh, within a short period of time, became a refugee. She had to run for her baby's life. It wasn't much different later in the New Testament. John, the Baptist who was born around the time of Jesus, was about to be beheaded, and he sent messengers to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? Is there another one who will come? And if you and I tell our stories, even those of us who have trusted in Jesus know something of fear, Maybe it's the doctor's report or the trajectory of the career or the fear that pregnancy test will not be positive again or that somebody in our life won't be able to deal with their addiction. I mean, we know something of that. And even if, if you personally aren't somebody who feels the, that, that sense of fear and says, you, you know, that isn't, isn't my life, the, the, the promise that's made about the Son of God coming to earth to reign, to bring peace on earth, and that his kingdom will have no end. For, for some of us, what, what it does is it makes us say, well, well, that seems remote. It seems distant past. And if anything good's going to be, it's up to me. And so I have to double my effort to bring my own security. Some of us say, I don't need to think about that. I just need to go on a better vacation this year. Or maybe we escape through libations or binge-watching the British baking show. Or love is blind or endless games of football teams that aren't making the playoffs this year. And so we have this, this thing in us that says, well, maybe I just don't have to think about it. But I think if we look at these four uh, fear nots, we can see some things that can help you and help me live without fear. And I'm going to take Mary and Joseph together. They each saw an angel, had an encounter with an angel that the angel said, fear not. But, but there were two others. And if we take them from the least known to the best known, I think we can see something about our own story. So the first is Zechariah. It's not a name you hear all the time in the Christmas narrative, but in Luke chapter one, he was a priest who was attending to his duties in the temple and it became his turn to go into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice. It was a place of honor. And while he was there, he encountered an angel. Now encountering an angel would be a reason to hear the phrase fear not. It would be a reason to be a little freaked out. But here he is doing the right thing in the right way at the right time, being a genuinely good person, and here he encounters Jesus. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. 
It says this, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And his prayer was that his wife Elizabeth would have a child and he ended up not being able to speak until this this child was born. But his encounter with God and the angel was an encounter where Jesus was basically revealing to him that his goodness and the religious system that he had counted on wasn't enough. You see, some of us come here and we're genuinely good people and our mindset is religion is a nice thing for those people who need that kind of thing. But we think that our goodness has been enough and we have not encountered the Jesus of Christmas if we actually don't understand that we need Jesus because we think that we're good. And again, Zechariah was genuinely good. He was religious. And by the way, there are different ways to be good. You can be good with religion. You can be good with no religion and say, my sense of being good is based on how I treat people, the way I vote, the people I associate with. But it's all the same kind of thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Nazi Germany and part of the resistance to Adolf Hitler, once wrote this. He said, we've grown so accustomed to the idea of divine love and God coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We're indifferent to the message taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near and lays claim to our lives. Some of us need to hear fear not, even though we don't have any fear at all right now, because we should understand that God has come near and lays claim to our lives. I heard about a floral shop that was very busy at one time of year, and they mixed up some orders. One of the orders was for a funeral and the other was for a business that had moved to a new location. And the business that moved to the new location had gotten a a message on the flowers that said, we're so sorry for your loss. And the business owner was was a little irritated. So he called up the the, the floral shop and, and he got the owner there and she said, well, you know, I'm sorry. We were busy. Stuff happened. He said, well, how could this happen? And she said, yeah, I'm sorry. She said, but, you know, understand that, that, that the funeral got your card. And it said, good luck in your new location. Sometimes... We take a a moment of uh, of thinking about death and we say, I don't want to think about it. But Christmas reminds us that there are eternal realities and our goodness will never be enough on its own merits. That's one of the teachings of the Bible. But here's a second group. And this is the shepherds. And this is who we often think about because in the, in the Christmas plays, there's often a moment where, where the shepherds are tending their sheep out in, in, the, in the fields at night and the angel appears and says, do not be afraid. This comes from Luke chapter two, verse 10 is where we read this. Here's how this reads. It says this, but an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today 
In the town of David, a Savior's been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And here's what, what's packed into this that we can often miss. Again, obviously, if shepherds see an angel, there's a reason to be afraid. But, but, but part of probably what was happening, according to some commentators, is these shepherds who probably would have been able to look into Jerusalem and see the temple from the fields in which they were situated and watch all of the people gather and make sacrifices with lambs to... to in a sense, say, I want to be made right with God, were probably ceremonially unclean because they were busy taking care of sheep, which in that culture at that time would have meant they could never go to the temple. And what does God do? He says, don't be afraid. I want you to come and see the Messiah that was later identified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this, this group of people who, who probably would have said, well, we'll never be able to make sacrifice, we'll never make it, were able to be invited to the birth of the Savior of the world because it was God's way of saying, there's no bridge too far, there's no one who has been so bad, who's gone so far that they cannot come to the Savior. Some of us, who have gathered, don't have the problem of thinking we're so good that we don't need a savior. Some of us have the issue of thinking we're so bad that we don't deserve a savior. Some of us have some secrets and some shames where we say, if, if somebody else knew, if everybody knew, they would think so little of me. And sometimes we transfer that to God. It's not that there are no consequences for the things that we do, but the God of the universe sent Jesus so that those of us who can acknowledge our need and say, I have not lived perfectly, can come and experience the Savior of the world. But some of us get really comfortable with the idea that maybe we don't fit or we haven't measured up. There's a song that was written a generation ago that went like this. Said this, they say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. And then more recently, another one went like this. It said, I'm just a long-haired son of a sinner searching for new ways that I can get gone. Because I'm only one drink away from the devil. I'm only one call away from home. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. I guess I'm just a little right and wrong. Do you hear the comfort with saying, yeah, I'm just kind of in the middle. I can go either way. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. But what is clear when you read through the, the, the Christmas narratives is that Christmas isn't, it isn't for the people who have it all figured out, but it's for those of us who can acknowledge our need. We have a reason to fear, but Jesus has said, you don't need to be afraid ultimately if you come to know my goodness and my grace. You see what happens for these shepherds is that we're told in verse 20 of Luke 2 that they went home praising God. They went from maybe being comfortable with 
saying we don't deserve it, our badness or our sin can never be atoned for to praising God. And can I just say to you, if, if, if church to you feels like a burden or an unnecessary part of your life, you don't understand because what church ultimately is, is coming to give praise to God and be reminded of the goodness and the glory and the splendor of God and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's what the shepherds experienced. But there's one more do not fear that I'd like to highlight, and this is two of them, Joseph and Mary, but it's the same basic account. Mary in Luke 1, Joseph in Matthew 1, both encountered an angel who came to them and said, do not fear. Now, what would they have to fear? Well, Mary was young and pregnant, And she wasn't married. And in that culture, to be young and pregnant and not married would mean that that what you would end up having is a sense of being ostracized in your community. And we know from the text that, that Joseph was ready to put her away privately, meaning to divorce her until the angel appeared to him. He was afraid that his fiance had cheated on him. And he didn't want to raise another man's child. And what this represents, I think, is the sense that if I follow Jesus, that I can't trust him with my dearest hopes and dreams. You see, some of us, we come here and we understand that our goodness isn't enough and that our badness doesn't keep us from Jesus. But our real fear is that if I trust Jesus, how do I know that Jesus will let the life that I want to live be the life that I actually live. And what we need to resolve ultimately is that this God, the Lamb, is powerful and good. I love in Revelation 5, where we're told that the Lamb is also the Lion of Judah. And what that means in biblical prophecy is that that this baby is both the conquering king and the sacrifice. That the Jesus who came once will come again. That the Jesus who came the first time as as a baby in a manger is coming back on a throne to reign. And that whatever is wrong in this world will be made right. You see, some of us, our fear is personal and and it has to do with things in our lives. For some of us, it's more global. We fear some of the things that are happening in our world. But there's coming a day when Jesus will come back and make it right. I love the story that's been told about a painting that evidently hung in the Louvre. And, well, it was being toured. It's called Checkmate. I think we have a picture of it here. And and the idea of this painting, and it was supposedly sold in 1999. It's now in a private collection. Some people say this is, is an apocryphal, untrue story. Others say it's true. I'm not entirely sure. But, but, but here's what allegedly happened, that this painting, Checkmate, has a devil sitting here and he's about to checkmate this person and take his life. And so one day as people were coming through, the painting's real, by the way, but, but this part is the part that, that not everyone's sure about. But as this, the, the, a grand chess master was touring this in a touring group, he stood and continued to look at the painting as his group moved on and he stood there and stood there and stood there. And finally, the tour leader came back and said, what's going on? He said, there's something wrong with this painting. He said, really, what? And he said, 
It shouldn't be called checkmate. I said, really, why? And he said, because the king still has one more move and that move will change everything. And the man who looks like he's going to lose is going to win. Do you know what Christmas means? That Jesus still has one more move, that the Lion of Judah, the King of the universe still has one more move. And in your life, what that means is that you can say, in the areas that seem dark, that seem like I can't trust God, that seem as if, as if it's too much to say, God, I, I'll entrust my life to you, that you can say the King still has one more move. I love how, how Romans 8 depicts this future. Here's what Romans 8 says. This is verse 18 and 19 of Romans 8. It says, For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For our, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You see, believing in Jesus doesn't mean that you'll never groan again, but what it means is that your groaning has a deeper sense of eager expectation because you know the king still has one more move. It doesn't mean when you believe in Jesus that, that everything in your life will go exactly the way that you want it to go. In fact, there will be plenty of suffering, but it means that your suffering is not without hope because the king still has one more move. And I know that some of us hear this and we say, well, that's nice, but, but really the, the baby from 2,000 years ago? Do you know this? That the prophecies that were given about Jesus' first coming have such a remote mathematical chance of coming true that, that, that to think that Jesus' prophecies about coming again would not be true would be crazy. In fact, there's a couple of people who've studied this mathematically, a guy named Peter Stoner and another one named Robert Newman. And what they concluded was that for just eight of the prophecies of how Jesus was to come, this is, for example, in Micah 5, 2, where it says he'll be born in Bethlehem. That would be one. And there's some 47, 48 in the New Testament. Some people say as many as 300, but some of those are a little more illusion kinds of things. So if you said 47, 48, for just eight of them to be true, here's what, what they came to mathematically. They said for this to be true, it would be 10 to the 17th power. Now, that doesn't help me a whole lot. I can't fathom what 10 to the 17th power is. So what these two guys did is they figured out that if every one of these odds was a silver dollar, that you could take a silver dollar and cover the state of Texas two feet over and have as many as 10 to the 17th power is. I tried to convert it to Pennsylvania square miles and everything. It would be 12 feet deep throughout the state of Pennsylvania. And then what they said is that what you would do is you would basically take somebody, blindfold them and say, there's a single silver dollar in the state of Pennsylvania, 12 feet deep, and you have to go and pull it out. And that is the statistical probability that Jesus would be born in the way that the Bible said he was when he was born. Now, why do I tell you that? Because the king still has one more move and he's coming back. I watched a little bit of World Cup this last month or so, and I haven't watched soccer much in my life other than my kids playing. And here's what, what I noticed that, that I had never paid full attention to, and that is there's something called stoppage time. 
And what stoppage time is, is when the game had stopped, the ref has the discretion to add time to the clock, but generally nobody knows exactly when the game is ending and the players just keep playing, saying, I guess at some point this will end, but I don't know when. I think in some ways you and I are living in stoppage time. We don't know when the king is coming back, but he is, and he still has one more move. And because he came the first time and said, you do not need to fear, you can live with confidence. But some of us, what we need to do is we need to admit that our goodness isn't enough and we need to be disturbed by Christmas. Some of us need to say, my badness doesn't disqualify me and I need to be be comforted by Christmas. And some of us need, to hear the word don't fear because we're afraid that if we put our trust in Jesus that our lives won't make a lot of sense. I don't know what word you need today, but the message of Christmas, at least in part, is fear not because the king still has one more move. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Certainly if you're here And tonight, this has made sense. We'd love to invite you just to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by acknowledging that your goodness and badness are not enough and Jesus has come to be the Savior. But maybe for you, you need more time to explore. I'd love to invite you to be part of Orchard Hill at any of our campuses starting January 7th and 8th, the the, the series about hidden hurts that's coming. We'll explore what the Bible says about some of our hurts. Maybe coming is, is something that feels foreign to you. You live farther away. There's an online option. We have a great online study coming in January called Defined, in which we'll, we'll consider how God defines people who put their faith in him versus how we define ourselves in the world. Or maybe you live far away and you have another place to plug into or another online option, I just encourage you to do that, to let the message of Jesus Christ change your life. God, I ask today that you would help each one of us to understand what it is to hear the words and apply them to our lives, fear not, and that it would change the way we live. God, thank you for the beauty of what Jesus has done and what you've done in Jesus. And we pray this in his name, amen.